I want to understand the system everything is part of, right? Like, I, I, it wasn't enough for me to understand that I was supposed to go to school or, or church. Why do we do this? You know, if when you ask why many, many, many times, you, you, you can run out of answers. And, and to, to me, this always ended up being extremely unsatisfactory. That's the voice of Toby Lutka, founder and CEO of Shopify. Toby is fond of saying that Amazon is trying to build an empire and Shopify is trying to arm the rebels, which makes him my kind of troublemaker. This is Mike Maples Jr. of Floodgate, and it's go time with Toby Lutka. Welcome to Starting Greatness, a podcast dedicated to ambitious founders who want to go from nothing to awesome super fast. When you're a startup founder, you have to channel your inner James Bond, your MacGyver, your Wonder Woman. I'm going to help you win by curating the lessons of the super performers, but before they were successful. So without further ado, ignition sequence start. Let's get started. The way Toby Lutka thinks about business, as well as about thinking in general, has always fascinated me. He approaches decision-making, how to lean into uncertainty and experimentation, and company culture in fresh and effective ways that challenge normal assumptions. He draws on many sources to keep building mental models that give depth and breadth to his perspectives. And perhaps most importantly, he applies these superpowers to helping entrepreneurs throughout the world to succeed. The startup world needs more people like Toby Lutka, and we're lucky that he took the time to catch up. Let's talk to him. Toby, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So before we even get to Shopify, before we even get to Snow Devil, did you grow up thinking you were going to become an entrepreneur? I mean, if, if my memory serves me, you grew up in Germany and now you live yeah. in Canada. How did you ever think that you'd become an entrepreneur in the first place? Did you even know what an entrepreneur was? I, I wasn't. I didn't. I didn't actually know the, na- uh, the term even um, as someone... Like, I think someone introduced me as an entrepreneur at some point um, years after I started Shopify. Um, so, so it wasn't was no ambition of mine um, to do it. I, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I grew up in Germany in a small town. My grandmother had a printing shop, big letter presses, and so on. She started her own business, so I credit her with putting the wonderful uh, facility of entrepreneurship into my toolbox, and it, it sort of came out at the right moment in my life. Now, but it sounds though that you did have this quality of questioning the rules, even at a young age, right? I've heard stories about how you kind of had an aversion to answers to things like, this is how things have been done, so let's do it this way. So is, is that true? Did that, did that happen even from your earliest years? You know what it probably is? So I'm born in 1980, sort of just first generation, where computers were kind of around. Like, it's just like, it's... My dad had one. Um, from my perspective, computers could have been invented 300 years earlier. It would have made no difference. Like the fact that they were there <laughs> meant that I grew up with in, 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 in what I think is like a digital native kind of time, right? And certainly that wasn't everyone's experience, but I got lucky um, uh, back then. And so uh, using computers just was really, like, it's, it's very just fascinating me. And uh, I've, like, spent as much time as I could and was allowed to uh, take them apart and put them back together and uh, get increasingly more interested in software. But I also had, at the same time, like, the rest of my life, like, most people weren't into, like, understood computers, right? And I think one thing that happened pretty quickly is 
but I saw the like how computers kind of slowly spread how many things like even going to school like even just like so many of the things that a school does <laughs> are really the kinds of things that you know computers could um, help with like even I mean just schedule creation or something you know some basic things and I, I think I think just because of that I learned that most of the things around me are, haven't been fully figured out they, they were kind of representations of the times they were when, when, when someone had to solve these problems and of course times change and, and more better tools become available and so I think I think this has just been something that I spent my life doing when, whenever I see or use something I, I, I judge it based on is this good in the current context or is this as good as it could be and uh, you know I think that's that, that's, a, that's actually a really like a lot of I think entrepreneurship is based on this idea right like it's the things around us that we are surrounded by are not necessarily as good as they could be uh, and it could be improved and, and could be improved specifically for people who have certain uh, particular backgrounds yeah, and there's a, I don't know if you've ever seen this clip from Steve Jobs where he talks about where uh, all the stuff around us that we call life was designed by people not necessarily any smarter than us. And it's like you, you can make a conscious decision to question that and change it, and you could build things and make rules that other people follow. And it's just a, diff- it's just a different worldview. Are you going to be an awesome rule follower? Are you going to question assumptions and challenge it? Uh, and and you know propose a different better way of doing things. Yeah, that's perfect. Perfectly put. So it, so you were that, but it sounds like you were that way from a young age. Then so like you know were there other manifestations of that or other examples? Probably much to your mom's chagrin, where uh, you know you would you would question things uh, where normal people would just say that's just how it is. Yeah, I, 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 this this is definitely. Um maybe not because I've made things, but because I want to understand things. Like, I, I, I find the patterns behind things. Like, I, 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 want, I want to understand the system everything's part of, right? Um, like, I, I, it wasn't enough for me to understand that I was supposed to go to school or, or church um, or any of these things. I, I needed to understand, okay, well, um, why do we do this? And, 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 and um, what assumptions? You know, like, I, I didn't have a language for this, but, I, you know, if when you ask why many, many, many times... Um, you 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 can run out of answers and and um i find that to to me this always ended up being extremely unsatisfactory right like it's just like i couldn't if i if i if i found the the the, the bottom of something um of of people's understanding i i wanted to keep going and uh i think this is another thing that made like again computers of the 80s so interesting to me because if if you had basic up on the screen and and you ask why you ended up with assembler, and, and 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 if you ask why, you 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 eventually went to NAND gates, uh, and, and and then you maybe go to silicon, but then you kind of at some point you're like, even I was satisfied. <laughs> I, I I find only when I can like understand all the ingredients and the hidden like the somewhat hidden harmonies behind the components that make up a system, that that. Like I, I just can't stop thinking about it. It's too interesting. It's not even like it might be an obsession, but it's honestly just curiosity that I, I, I think drives this. It's, it's, it's again another thing that has been super, super helpful. Um, but <laughs> I make this sound so good. Um, probably terrible experience for my teachers. Yeah, <laughs> or, or anyone who just tried to get me to do a certain thing. Um, or sometimes it's like, dude, when you do the five whys, you're going to get to an answer that makes sense. So just humor yeah. me. Yeah. 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 So obviously you got interested in computers pretty young. How did you, um, how did you decide to, to go to Canada 
And how did you start getting interested in Ruby on Rails and open source and sort of taking your efforts to the next level? I mean, I, I've been fascinated with open source just because it's open source was my connection to uh, the world of programming, right? Like, I, 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 again, I didn't know many other people programming. Um, there wasn't really, it's not something people talked a lot about <laughs> in um, medium-sized cities. After the internet arrived in town, <laughs> when it still did such things, um, uh, I, you know, I got a copy of a Linux kernel because that's the biggest thing I could download in terms of code, <laughs> like biggest zip file um, to, to learn from it. Made no sense to me at all uh, initially. And, you know, I, 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 I loved following along on, on, on the mailing lists and, and, and just trying to, you know, slowly wrapping my head around it. Because again, like this, this actually fed my interest in the system of computers and what operating systems do and how they're built. And um, I learned a lot about programming as well. And, and so open source has been just really, really important. It's my connectivity to the rest of industry, which have, a lot of it happened in Silicon Valley um, and not in rural Germany. I moved to Canada because of my now wife uh, being Canadian. I wanted to, I, I, I felt that was closer to the United States than, 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 than Germany. So like, I was like, I figured I'm going to take a couple of steps to get there. Um, um, I sometimes refer to Canada as uh, uh, like United States for Europeans. <laughs> <laughs> So, so um, that works perfectly for me. Um, you know, Ruby on Rails, I just found it, uh, again, uh, another one of those times where I worked as a programmer for a large term uh, multinational. They taught me very specifically what to do and uh, how to, what, what tools to use. In this case, this was uh, some enterprise Java uh, tooling to which I started asking a stream of whys, which no one could answer. And, and because the real answer I know now is because the right person played golf with the right person and that that's how technology decisions were made okay so you 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 know you're in this multinational huge giant organization with the rules uh just for what they are what what how does that lead you to snow devil like what what was the impetus of that so i i found myself in a uh person tool misfit situation with my employer and um like I wanted to try to do something myself. I, I, I again, I, I said earlier I didn't set out for to, to, to entrepreneurship, but like I, I, I was actually thinking I'm gonna work myself on an open source project. Um, and but I, I, I also knew I needed some way to make money doing this. Um, I thought I was done with programming just because I had so little fun uh, doing this with the previous tools. Uh, I, I thought I almost sort of looked for an exit ramp um, to try to recover programming as a hobby for myself. So I, I decided like maybe selling things online is a good idea. I understand the internet. I understand uh, like I, I, I can help myself like I can make, uh, use tool, technical tools and then I could make money. So I thought, so initially this wasn't, those two things were totally not aligned. Um, in, in my mind, they were separate. And um, so I got to set out building this online store. And, and what I found, to my complete surprise, because this was 2004, which is distinctively behind the dot-com bubble, which was distinctively about e-commerce, <laughs> there was no tool to use to start a new business online. And, 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 and I, I was really surprised by this. And I just decided to use my own thing, but maybe combining those two open source work and, and, and this. And I, I, I decided I could use Ruby because I lo love Ruby. Um, and um, uh, so I did that. And, and I built this 
online business called Snowdevil, uh, selling snowboards. I, I settled on snowboards partly because I was doing a lot of snowboarding because it's cold in Canada. <laughs> and uh, I, I just knew a lot about snowboards. Um, but like the most important thing that happened there is in the process of building Snowdevil, I had to make a whole lot of technological choices in this sort of... It's hard to take people back to this time. Like the Internet of 2004 was fascinating because... Before that, there was really, it was a hot mess. <laughs> well, yeah, I remember. It's funny that, you're t that you describe this because 2004 was the year I decided to move from Austin, Texas to California. And part of the reason was that uh, I'd, I'd be online and I would see things like uh, iPodder and you would combine RSS and you could make a, a podcasting client or you could use like BitTorrent and do broadcatching, but it was all... It was all do-it-yourself type of stuff. You had to combine RSS with other elements, and you know the you, the, the media files like a payload. So you know th there was all this you know what some people were calling Web 2.0 at the time, but it was it was almost like uh, it was time to get the party started again on the internet, and the, the kind of this it was you know the, this yeah. is exactly it. It's like it, it was like the, what you're talking about is like from a perspective of 2004, you're talking about the like the most progressive, enlightened, fringe parts of the internet, right? Because, like, the orthodoxy in 2004 was uh, frame sets, tables, one-pixel, transparent GIF spaces. Um, to, to, like, we, we did all of the layouting with, like, insane, insane hacking of whatever. So most of the web was, was a mess. But then there was, like, technologies came along that, like, if you used just the good parts you could put them together in such a way that it was clearly correct. It was clearly where things would be going. And that's what became known as Web 2.0. It felt like a time where you could make long-term bets on what the internet would look like in the future. And, and, and that was really the takeaway to me. Like the way I built Snow Devil uh, with all the latest things worked perfectly fine. And therefore, I, I assumed that other people would want to help themselves to a similar set of technologies to do to do similar things and that entrepreneurship on the internet would become a much larger factor because i just didn't imagine that for all eternity people would start retail businesses uh, in a physical space and then only sometimes move them online that that felt very clear to me that that wasn't going to be a long-term uh, situation uh, it felt pretty obvious that someone needed to make something for people starting new businesses based on good set of technologies a lot of people say hey when you start a startup don't be a vitamin be a painkiller that doesn't really resonate with me with the great startups that i've encountered like most most great startups i've found get started for aesthetic reasons. And it's it's more that uh, someone's following their own curiosity and and pulling things together to create something new that, that the world just needs for its own sake. And you just kind of just keep following the thread to where it leads, right? But it's not like you get in a conference room and say, okay, well, here's some big uh, change event and pain th that I'm going to solve. It's more... Uh, it, it's more just the the appeal of trying something different and following your obsession until it leads somewhere. Yeah, I'm, I'm really partial to James Cass's book, uh, Finite and Infinite Games, um, in, in, in this regard. Because I, I think this exp uh, is a, it's a fairly philosophical book. It's not really a business book. But like I, 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 to me, this really, really sums the whole thing together. I think most companies are um, uh, investigations into curiosity themselves like they are like um, something isn't right 
why isn't it right? Or because no one made it right? Why don't we make it right? And then not because that changes the world in any meaningful way, because that just creates, that makes, you, you make something. It's like you, you, make, you do this for its own sake. Like um, you, you make something that you can share. And then if some people find that valuable, you, you'll do more of it. And you, you, you figure out what the next step is. But it's not like a game like tennis. Like there's no score being kept. There's no winning or losing. There's no finite and quantifiableness. It's, it's actually just like setting out a journey. But the, 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 the only goal that you actually have is you have some vision of you see the horizon somewhere and you think there's something interesting like the only goal that exists is reach the horizon just so you can gain more vision and and I think a lot of these steps in a row that's the story behind every uh, notable company I think in, in the world I think entrepreneurs actually are compelled to not acknowledge this because again if you, if you believe James Cars, anything that's winnable it cannot, it's not a finite game anymore, right? Because you, like, you just made it finite because it's winnable. Anywhere that the score can be kept in a meaningful way is, is like, it's also not an infinite game. Yet, um, we ask every entrepreneur to, 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 to explain their company in very quantifiable ways. Um, we, 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 we literally ask them to write a business plan, which is by definition creates a, like a, makes it a finite game because now it's winnable or not um, based on the assumptions in the business plan. And so I think there's a, there's a lot of tension that comes from that. I, I, think, I, think, uh, I think a lot of companies end up not quite end, um, ending up being as successful as they could be, partly because the founders are constantly asked to uh, translate um, an infinite journey that they're on into quantifiable finite games just so that other people can keep the score or, or that they themselves can keep the score. In, in my case, um, like I, I luckily came across this idea quite early and I, I, I've been perfectly at ease with just being on an infinite journey. I, 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 I have a 100% unbroken track record of underestimating um, the potential of Shopify underestimating the amount of people I need for Shopify, underestimating the complexity of a, of a code we have to write, uh, underestimating the, the, the success and, 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 and acceleration of you know, things like Moore's Law or just like the internet adoption. Um, but none of that matters, right? Because there is no thing that we are trying to accomplish and we win or lose. There's just like, make it easy to be entrepreneurs in the retail space on the internet. That's, that's kind of what we do. Um, the internet changes a lot. <laughs> and um, uh, every time the plans change, every time like something like new information arrives, it's not that now we have to kind of define a new game. It's like just be like, okay, we incorporate this into a journey that changes things. That's something desirable. And let's make sure that we adjust based on it. But that's, that's the way I think about company building. Uh, it's, 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 it's best when it's purely um, based on here's an important thing that needs to be done. Let's do this better than anyone else. And if we be successful with that, people will buy it. Yeah, I, I look back on that. Uh, maybe, I uh, maybe I should have been smarter at the time. I, I remember Tim Ferriss introduced us, and, and he said, hey, I got this friend Toby, and he's got this company up in Canada called Shopify, and he's deciding between private equity and venture capital. It's late, late stage for you guys since you do seed rounds, but could, could you help him out? And I should have I should have had the presence of mind to try to talk my way into that round anyway, uh, but it was it's just funny to look back. Uh, so you ra you raised venture, decided to kind of go for it, 
and, and it's kind of like, is the rest just history from then? I mean, if I look at your numbers, it seems like, you know, 2010, 2011, things started to kind of inflect in a permanent way, right? Like it's obviously the growth has been extraordinary, but it, it feels like it was a progressive of exceeding the targets, you know, a sequence of exceeding the targets year after year starting about then. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Uh, I, 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 I mean, I don't know what it really says. Like, I mean, it, it, may, it may just say more about how much I held the business back by not getting financing earlier, um, that, that it was such a smooth ride from this point on. Um, well, I also, <laughs> it wasn't smooth right from that point on. It, may, it might look like it's in the numbers, but it, <laughs> it took a lot of doing on this particular info in the journey. Um, but uh, um, I, I think the most important thing that happened is the, the moment we took outside capital, uh, we, 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 we could just accelerate marketing spend, and uh, that was really holding us back. We, we, we brought in a great marketing leader um, who could teach us a lot. Like, we brought a teacher instead of having to figure this out all ourselves. And, 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 and kind of the other thing is, the internet was ready, right? Like, this is the other thing, right? Like, um, you know, I think about the internet as a, the biggest city in the world. Um, one which, by the way, at this point now had billions of recent immigrants <laughs> to, to, to it. it it's, I think it's a better model. Um, that city needs everything that the, any other city needs. It needs its own culture. It needs its institutions. It needs entertainment. It needs, like, everything. Um, and, and so much of what every large company is now like like if, if like almost every internet company is just bringing the things that it, we like about uh, the world of atoms in uh, into the world of uh, bytes and so um uh entrepreneurship is a thing that people do in the real world in fact that's actually one a thing that people have been doing for much much longer than people realize like uh we when 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 when, when they do these discoveries of uh ancient stone age fossiled uh, uh, people in the Alps or something, what they find is like on their body they carried products from a thousand five hundred kilometer radius. That says there's a trade network, that's like, like com that's commerce, that's specialization. So people have engaged in uh, the exchange of goods for, for forever um, and uh, have like it's it's actually hard to figure out if, if if cities themselves are a product of trading posts that the trading trading posts on the crossroads are actually the things that uh, founded the city. So you can you can't even like even looking back at human history, you, like it's 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 the exchange of goods is a really important thing that needed to be on the internet. 2010, you had enough people there. Uh, we figured out a lot of things about securities. People started trusting, putting their credit cards into online forms around HTTPS and whatnot. Um, and we just had a financial crisis uh, in, in most of the Western world that um, wrecked havoc with people's career plans, right? Like a lot of people found out that, hey, um, I had what's, what was called a stable job that, didn't, didn't, that turned out to not be stable at all because it was completely hinged on shaky foundations that was just obscured um, again the system that people need to understand better and uh, uh, you know what I'm going to do I'm going to be an entrepreneur like that sounds good and by the way the internet is ready so like that's what I'm going to do and, and so at this point Shopify is ready it, it, it became the place people went to and uh, um, we managed to get the word out that that was the place where people should go <laughs> through marketing and, and then it all kind of happened together in 2004 15, we, we, we IPO'd also rather early um, uh, compared to most companies now and uh, tried to become a, a, a trusted public company. That was our stated goal, and I think we, I think we accomplished that. 
So I've also heard that you'll sometimes run the thought experiment of if I'd just taken the company over yesterday, how would I change it? So like, how do you, how, how does that manifest itself? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I do something called studio weeks, I, um, which, um, I, I learned from friends in the music industry. Um, uh, but like, like a successful band, which just gets together every four or five months to figure out if I have an album in them by, by, by just spending time in the studio. Like I, I, I love that. So, um, um, so, so I go, go away and just like, Sometimes I take my laptop and sometimes I don't, and I just figure out, work on something. I, I make it a habit that trying to disrupt Shopify is like a really, really good question to ask myself. Um, because, I mean, what Shopify does for, we, we didn't really talk about the impact of a product, but like um, for the small and medium businesses, which we have like 1.7 million of, um, we are almost the, like our role we play in their businesses, well, there's many, but one is, um, keep them relevant in this city of internet, like inoculate them from the thing that used to kill SMBs, which is like technology change is adopted first by large guys and therefore the little guys all go out of business. Like um, the moment the mobile phone came around, which happened a good deal after Shopify was started, um, like a lot of buying shifted to mobile phones um, and, and, and first mobile phones were terrible at it and, and the websites of everyone or the retailers didn't work on mobile phones and literally every retailer didn't have mobile support which sounds weird now but was a thing um, it like just disappeared from the internet that people wanted to use and, and you know like without software kind of stepping up and just saying okay let's ship the right kind of things make everyone's themes responsible responsive whatnot um like that would have been really really bad for small businesses and that's <laughs> most people in the world work for small businesses they are much more important than people realize um uh for for for, for our economies and so on so it, it's 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 sometimes bad things happen for minor um uh things so anyway um the internet changes and and and, and what it means to be um selling on the internet changes a lot and um, every time there's large change again um, and opportunity space um, someone could come along and, and, and just navigate directly to where the error of progress will be uh, build for that and then um, uh, get there earlier than Shopify and that's not going to be great for my company so um, how would I do this is, is a very important question I ask myself for that I have to keep track of the zeitgeist of internet and, and technology and all these and product and uh, all these things. Uh, I, I get tons of inputs by my teams on, on, on those things, but I personally, that's, that is the way I see my job as um, having to have a good opinion like, like on this. Usually I come back with notes and notes and notes on here's like how this problem could be solved now. And then what we do is like, okay, we are, we are here. We need to go over there. Let's charter a path of how to get there. Bill Gates used to have a similar technique. He'd, he'd spend a week at Hood Canal uh, and uh, have these think weeks. And uh, one of the things that, uh, that he did that sounds similar to what you're describing is he would come back and he would frame the most important battle facing the company, right? So like in 1991, he was like, making Windows successful is the single most important thing. Uh, and in 95, he came back and said, winning on the internet is the single most important thing. And one of the things that I always appreciated about that was when you think about it, Microsoft was at the center of the tech universe. 
you think about the set of things they could have said yes to, it could be anything. Anything involved with tech they could be part of and say yes to. But Bill had the presence of mind to every now and then step step away and say, if if we let this internet thing uh, get in front of us and run us over, none of that other stuff's going to matter, right? Like it's it's going to define the company. How we how we respond to this opportunity or threat is going to define the company above all other things, right? And it's it's a little bit I think what like what you're describing. You you get caught in the system that you're in. And you just kind of keep playing by the rules of the system as they are, and, the, and your your goals and your plans become very internally driven rather than factoring in what's going on in the external vi- environment, what's changing, what could upend your business. That, that's fascinating. I didn't. I, I'm such an outsider. I like to, to to the world of tech. Actually, I'm just an outside observer. Um, so I I wasn't aware that Bill did this, but like it, it's. I mean, it sounds like. The, like he's asking himself the question even better than uh, any, anything I've come up with, right? Like it's, what is the important battle is the right, is the right question. I think a role the founder can play, um, someone really has to play it, um, is, is, is to be very watchful to, to, to for regression to the mean, right? Like it's, there's an orthodoxy in every company which reinforces let's do more of a thing that we have done so far. Um, um, of course, like the company will do it better and innovative and like add features and listen to customers uh, like if, if it's any good um, and that's significant progress as well um, but it's really the um, it's very inward facing and and you kind of become the best version of the thing you are, which is often with the internet not often like very often you actually need to become something else um, and um, when when I started shopify a technical founder wasn't meant to run a company. I mean, Bill was the one that everyone pointed to um, as, as, as pulling it off, but like, I mean, Bill is Bill. <laughs> so um, no, most people don't see ourselves in Bill, uh, like because we understand how uh, singular he is. Um, and, um, uh, but it turned out that uh, from this group of companies which got created in the early 2000s, a, a significant of them, amount of them ended up doing well under uh, the um, leadership of, of of technical founders, and I think it's actually that thing. It's the it's a it's a um, the, the reason is that uh, that allows like the, the the founders are allowed to tell the company, hey, we need to stop this thing, and we now need to do this thing, and they're allowed this because they have all the credit for starting a company. So everyone kind of like, well, I guess none of us would be here if it wouldn't have been for Bill, <laughs> and. and, and so, so, so that, but that facility, given the realities of a fast-changing world we live in, ends up becoming way more important than I think anyone imagined a, a long time ago. Now, it strikes me that you would probably be a fan of um, Nassim Taleb's book, Anti-Fragile. Uh, it's, I've, I've, I do think it's his best book. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I agree. So what, what was it? How has that book influenced you? Like, what do you think was the, were the ideas that were the most important in that book? And how did it influence you as a person and as a leader? So, so fast, my, my, my experience with this book was actually really interesting just because um, maybe there's another reason why technical um, is a good background uh, for, 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 for engineers. Um, uh, sorry, for, <laughs> for definitely for engineers, but for um, founders. Um, so, like, I, just because I've done a lot of network programming, again, I keep talking about deterministic stuff versus non-deterministic stuff. Um, uh, like, um, 
you actually know the anti-fragile ideas as in like uh, if you do any electrical engineering or if you do network programming or so because like the moment like two machines have to talk to each other you have no idea how long it's going to take and you can't really you have to you have to build things in such a way that they are extremely um uh resilient to 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 to, to. You, you cannot build a fragile networking stack it doesn't can't be done um so what i've loved about this book was actually just the language being created so that it can uh, like you can actually talk about systems design in such a way that, uh, uh, like, you don't end up with these incredibly technical concepts. Uh, um, so, my, my, I think the, it's fascinating um, how. Like, I mean, his research into this was fascinating. It's such a common thing. Like, again, our bones end up healing stronger than they were if they break. Um, everywhere around us, like successful systems are designed in such a way that um, uh, they, they, they become stronger and that they naturally get disrupted. Like even, even like, I mean, in a way, the, uh, like deleting everyone's meeting is a disruption of a system, right? And, and um, again, it creates a lot of noise and lots of complaints, um, uh, but it create, like the system actually becomes better due to the disruption. That's right. Like it's like what people miss in that, right? Is that the str- the temporary stress is more than offset by the increased vitality, right? Of the of the organization, right? So it's kind of a you know bone break, growing back faster when you when you lift weights, your muscle fibers get stressed, so they grow back better. Like what I loved about anti fragile was this idea that. Anti-fragile is more than about just being resilient or resistant to change. It's 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 about saying bring it on, right? Like rather than have a box that says fragile, it would say anti-fragile, bring it on, shake me as hard as you can. I'm gonna I'm just gonna grow stronger inside the more you do that. And and, and I want I think I think the ideal company is that box that says anti-fragile and it wants to be tossed on the ground because it knows it's gonna get better for it. Um, like if you get fully like I think end state antifragile is is where the company actually wants the the change to happen constantly and and I think there's lots of value in it I think importantly uh industrial revolution upwards until very recently was the opposite right like you wanted things to like Henry Ford's factory is a way to make the crazy process of, 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 of making a car fully deterministic step by step, right? Like it's, it's, it's literally the opposite of um, like, uh, like an anti-fragile process. Um, and most of the fortunes in business history, and this is why backcasting is a problem, were actually created in a world that was solving for um, uh, making complicated uh, processes um, uh, manageable. I, I, we're not in such times again. Like we, we, what we now need to build is what what's, what's generally referred to as complex adaptive systems, um, uh, and that's a much better model for the company. And a complex adaptive system is, um, again, it's like on the infinite journey. May, might not exactly know how to to win, but has good taste and 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 and, and, and progresses really quickly towards the horizons and the visions chosen. It um, wants all information. Information doesn't isn't bad thing uh, disruption isn't a bad thing it's 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 it, it teaches you to become better it, it um and 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 might even self-generate like for instance like um to, to give you an example like like we, we do this frequently um 
and and and, and Shopify like we certainly didn't do have to do it during COVID times because there's been enough uh, external uh, induced uh, change. Um, but like um, maybe five years ago, we actually closed our offices for a month, right? Like we just turned them off and said. Maybe we didn't even have really the right tools, but like we figured in the first week we're going to figure out the tools to, to, to work together and see if this works. Build some empathy for the few members, remote members we had. Um, we were like 800 people when we did this, so it's not even a terribly small-scale thing. Um, it was chaos and crazy, and, and, and again, lots and lots and lots of noise and complaining about, uh, uh, like ab- about this. But boy, was it useful when COVID happened. Like, we're like, hey, we've seen this movie before. We, we've, we've trained for this. Um, and I, I think that's, it's just a better attitude, right? So, uh, like, I, I spend a good deal of time talking about these things internally. I, I, I'm really, like, Thrive on Change is a core value of Shopify. And um, uh, it's, it's the one we are talking about, like, doing hiring. It's like, hey, this Thrive on Change thing looks innocuous. Um, but it's, you, you need to think about it a little bit like... Um, that health warning on a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> like, it's, it, we mean it. Like, you will find out at Shopify if you are the kind of person who actually likes change or can deal with change, in, at least. Um, because that's, gonna, that's just the only thing that's, that we can really tell you about your time at Shopify is that it will have, like, every year is going to be very different. And did you define your culture, uh, your values early in Shopify's history, or was that a more recent thing? Fairly early. Um, but... It, it's iterative, iterative. Like, we, we, there's no, like, the, the, I mean, we have an internal uh, wiki, and it's, it's not even called Shopify, the Shopify values, because that's the wrong way to think about it. It's like, it's, it says, what Shopify values, which is similar but different, right? Like, so specifically, it, it's, it's backwards facing documenting, uh, the way we call it. So this is a, a, a list of the kinds of things that Shopify the company values as demonstrated by the kind of people who did best at Shopify and, and, and the kinds of people who get promoted and uh, um, celebrated. Yeah, and, it, and it's interesting because on some level, you're not saying this is the absolute right way for a company to be. It's just this is who we are. This is a self-aware description of who we are. Yeah. Uh, and, and and that's going to that's gonna be instantiated in who does well at the company, who comes to the company, who's going to like working at the company. Yeah, and, and the kind of people... So I, I, like this is sort of gets, gets back to, like, you don't want to build a company that also, like, 10 years later, you, you, you would decide, like, hey, I don't think I would personally join this company. Like, I mean, you've got to be, like, part of your journey, your infinite game needs to be to build a better company than anyone has built before, right? Like, I mean, otherwise, why would you, um, uh, like, commit yourself to, to such a long, difficult thing? Um, and, uh, you know, like, if you, if you take 100 people and ask them for all of their favorite colors, uh, this is something my co-founder used to say a lot, um, um, like, and, and you chart them out and you blend them together, what you end up with is mud brown, which no one likes. <laughs> this is another formulation of aggression to the mean that you're fighting. If you want to make a sh- company that's agreeable to everyone, it's going to be mud brown. It, it, like, there, there's just no other way to do it. Um, it, it what, you don't want a like, river stone of, of a company that's agreeable. Like, you want a spiky object in, 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 in a particular way, but it happens to fit the particular needs for spikes, I guess, <laughs> um, uh, uh, well. And uh, I think that's important. Okay, well... Toby, I really appreciate your taking the time, and uh, I think we got some really good stuff here. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for listening to the Starting Greatness podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode or you're new to the show, I hope you listen to our past interviews with legendary founders like Reed Hoffman, Mark Andreessen, the Instagram founders, and Keith Raboy. I'd love to have you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And if you like the show, I'd be grateful if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow me on Twitter at M2JR and subscribe to our newsletter for exclusive content and events at greatness.substack.com. Until we catch up again, I hope you'll never let go of your inner power to do great things in whatever matters to you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.